But if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to open the book up to the book of Colossians, chapter 2, Colossians, chapter 2, verses 6 to 15. And uh, the text I'm using this morning is the New Living Translation. It's uh, maybe different from what you have, but I think you can follow along well enough in your Bible, or you can certainly watch on the screen and and have word for word uh, what I'm reading. I want to uh, preach today on three principles or practices of successful Christian living. And the Lord willing, next Sunday, I want to bring three more principles or practices of successful Christian living. And the purpose of this message and the one next week is to encourage believers to practice their faith. Put into practice what you say you are. Do, you know, like you speak. Uh, As they used to say it on the basketball court, uh, put up or shut up, right? And so that's what we're talking about, the Lord willing, today and next Sunday. So let's look at the scripture, Colossians 2, beginning at verse 6 and Verse 6 will kind of be my theme verse this morning for this message. And now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him. Let your roots grow down into Him and let your lives be built on Him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. And you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come today to consider this passage of Scripture and especially verse 6. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher and our guide as we seek to understand what it is you're saying to each of us today during this time of our worship. We pray this and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite stories, uh, perhaps a story that you've heard before, is about a man who was out of work. He had uh, worked steadily most of his adult life, and all of a sudden he was without a job, and so he immediately began to try to find another job. And uh, things were kind of tough. They didn't have a lot of money in reserve in his family, and so his savings were pretty soon exhausted, and he hadn't found a job, and he kept searching and looking and used the internet and the newspaper and all of his contacts and just couldn't find a job. Several weeks went by, no job, and he was applying for anything and everything that he thought might possibly fit his skill set, but still nothing opened up for him. And so one day he made a decision that he would go to every business in town and try to find any kind of a job doing anything that could bring some money into the house. I mean, they had bills to pay, there was food to buy, there were kids to raise, he really needed work. 
So he went to every place in town on that day. He knocked on doors. He got into offices. And every place he went, people were kind and friendly, but nobody had any work. I'm sorry, sir. We just don't have anything. The only place he didn't go, and this was toward the end of the day, was the zoo. And so he'd been every place else. He thought, why not go to the zoo? I don't know much about animals, but if they got a job shoveling manure, I'll do it. And so they showed him to the office of the personnel director, and the personnel director said, Sir, uh, have a seat, treated him nicely, and the man told him his story. He'd been out of work for so long now, he had bills to pay and didn't know where he was going to get money to buy food. And the personnel director was very sympathetic. He said, You know, I, I wish I could give you a job. We just don't have anything, and budgets are tight around here too, and I'm sorry. We just, we just don't have anything. So the man was quite dejected. And he got up to leave, and he was walking over to the door of the man's office, and just as he reached for the handle, the doorknob, the director of the personnel said, wait, wait just a minute. I think I might have an idea that can help us both. So the man turned around, and he said, well, whatever it is, you know, if it pays money, I'll take it. And the personnel director said, you know, a few days ago, our gorilla died, and it's going to be a little while before we can get another one. Would you be willing to put on a gorilla suit and, and sort of pretend to be our gorilla for a while? And the man said, well, I'll be happy to do it for pay, but I don't know anything about gorillas. I don't know how they act. I don't know anything about it. And the man said, look, we'll train you. We'll teach you. We'll help you. But if you'd be willing to do that, we'll pay you, and, and you'll have some money, and we'll have a new gorilla till we can arrange to get a, a real gorilla. And so within the next hour, they had this man in a gorilla suit. And they were teaching him little things about how to move and how to act and even some little grunts and sounds that gorillas make. And they put him out in a cage, and he was very, very self-conscious. He thought, everybody that looks at me knows I'm just a man in a gorilla suit. And after a few days, you know, this little bit wore off, and then he was finally beginning to act a little bit like a gorilla would act. And, and people would come to the zoo and notice this gorilla was acting, you know, and active and moving around. And, you know, after a few weeks, people were coming to the zoo just to see the new gorilla. And he was doing little tricks, you know. He'd jump up on his swing, and he'd swing out over the lion's cage and come back in. And people would applaud and throw bananas and stuff to his cage. And it was a Saturday morning beautiful day and people had come to the zoo in droves and many of them were right outside his cage and he thought to himself you know what this has been so good for me I'm going to give these people a real treat today and he thought to himself I'm going to get on my little swing and I'm going to swing out over the lion's cage I'm going to let go of my swing I'm going to do a flip and then come right back in and everybody would really applaud and he thought that means they would hire me permanently and they wouldn't even look for a new gorilla so he got up on his little swing and he went way out over the lion's cage and people said, ooh, and ah, and finally he went out as far as he could go and he let go of his swing and he did his flip and he reached for his swing and he missed it. And he fell right in the lion's cage. And he looked up and saw a lion that to him looked hungry coming his way. And he forgot all about being a gorilla. Help, somebody help me. All of a sudden, the lion was right over him, looked down at him, said, you better shut up, fool, or we'll both get fired. <laughs> now, <laughs> the reason I tell you that story is, it seems to me there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians who are actually just wearing a Christian suit, but on the inside, there's something else. We play the part. Sometimes. 
I'm not saying it's any of you. It's probably those that go to other churches around. It's probably not anything, you know, about Highland Park Church. And we call that in the church, what do we call that? Hypocrisy. We put on the show, we act like we're something that we're really not. Now, the point of today's message is to help you recognize if you want to really be Christian in your daily life, there are some exercises or some habits or even we might even call them disciplines that will help you to be successful as a real Christian. I know none of us are perfect Christians. We're all growing, hopefully, into the likeness of Jesus Christ, but we need all the help we can get. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about three of the most important things I know of that helps a Christian be successful in the Christian life. What is success in the Christian life? Just say it plainly. It's becoming like Jesus. How do you become more and more like Jesus? How do you become more and more what God originally created you to be? And these aren't really secret things. These aren't really stupendous scientific discoveries. These are common everyday things that we need to focus on if we're going to be successful in the Christian life. Now, if you have your sermon notes there in your bulletin, I'll give you the blanks. You see them on the screen. And we can, we can understand, I think, and help each other to understand what it means to be a successful Christian. Number one, I think this is the most important thing that you can do to be successful in Christianity, is to have an open and consistent conversation with God. We do that by two things, prayer and Bible reading. You see, if you're a Christian and you say, well, I am a Christian and I know that when I die I'm going to heaven, and you say, well, that's all I care about. I don't want God telling me what to do every day. I don't want somebody dictating it over me. I don't want Jesus to really be my Lord. I just want to know when I die and stirs closes the lid on my box, I'm going to be in heaven. If that's the kind of Christian you are, you're just wearing a gorilla suit, Right? Because if you've been born again, if you've been converted, if you have had an experience of the new birth, there's something in you that keeps crying out and desiring more and more of God. And if you don't want more of God, it might be something's wrong from the beginning. You know, it's kind of like the sergeant who was teaching his young recruits how to shoot your rifle. And they had targets down at the end of the range, and there was a guy down at the end of the range, you know, sort of connecting up with what the, the guys were doing, and so he... Telephone to Sarge, says, Sergeant said, nobody's hitting the target. The Sergeant says, well, they're leaving this end okay. You may say, well, I go to church, and, you know, I, I give money to the church, and I participate in things at the church. Isn't that enough? You see, that's one approach to Christianity, trying to do enough to please God. But on the other hand, you have a person here who's had a real experience with the Lord. Jesus Christ lives in them, and they just can't get enough. They just can't find ways enough to be closer to God and be pleasing to God and, and know that they're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Let me share with you what it means to have this open and consistent communication with God. Number one, Jesus taught his disciples to pray and he assumed that we would pray. In fact, it says in Matthew 6 verse 5, and when you pray, not if you pray, or if you should need to pray, or you should want to pray, but when you pray. Let me ask you a question, brothers and sisters, here in this church. Some of you I know, and some of you I don't know, but let me ask you this question as if it was just you and me talking together. When do you pray? Is there a specific time that you've set aside most every day when you pray? 
I remember a guy said to me one time, he said, well, I pray when I'm driving to work. Well, I'm not sure if that's a good time for me to pray. I get kind of frustrated with the drivers around me that drive to work. Sometimes they cut me off, and I just want to rear-end them real good, you know, and teach them they shouldn't do that. Now, I'm not saying that's not a time to pray. Maybe that's a time when I should pray more. But there should be a time when you set aside specific time to be with God in prayer and in the Word. We call that a quiet time. We call that a time where you can just focus on the Lord. You may have to get up early in the morning to do that, though that's not the only time you can do it. It may be better for you during the day when the kids and the husband's gone if you're a housewife. It may be in the evening. You may have to lock yourself in the bathroom to do it like my wife used to do. We had a little small house and we had three little boys running around the house. The only way she could get a quiet time was to go in the bathroom and lock the door. But whatever it takes, you have to find time If you want to grow in Christ, if you want to be a successful Christian, you must have time alone with God. You know what Jesus did? Jesus would oftentimes get up early in the morning and go out by himself. And sometimes, you see, the disciples say, wonder where Jesus is. Oh, he's out there praying. And that's what he was doing. And sometimes he prayed through the night, like the night before he chose his 12 disciples. He prayed through the night to seek God's wisdom and guidance and to fellowship with his Father. And so it is really important for you. And if you do not now have an established time on a daily basis when you meet with the Lord, you need to change that today. And you say, well, I've started and stopped that so many times I'm kind of embarrassed. That's all right. God knows it's difficult for us. God knows we're often tempted. God knows our schedules are busy. God knows we have internet and we have cell phones and we have emails and we have Twitter and tweet and whatever else it may be, bird brain or whatever else it may be. But you see, we've got to learn to put things aside. We've got to learn to sit things down so we can have this time with God. Let me tell you three things Jesus said about prayer. He said, don't be a hypocrite when you pray. How do the hypocrites pray? They love to pray in a loud voice in front of people so everybody can see them pray. Now, I know, I know, right? You've been in church work most all your life and I know the hardest thing to do sometimes is to pray in public at church. You know why? We're so focused sometimes on what people will think of what we say in our prayer that we forget we're talking to God. That ever happened to you when you pray in public? If you ever stand up here to pray like the deacon prays for the prayer, uh, for the service or whatever, or if you're on church staff, and you know, it's just difficult sometimes to focus on what we're doing. Second thing Jesus said is, go to God alone. When you pray, don't don't go out in the street corners and where people will see you. Go to a private place like Jesus did. Then the third thing he said is, don't babble on saying the same words over and over and over again like the Gentiles do. Don't think there's a magic phrase you have to repeat so many times. Don't think you have to pray the Lord's Prayer over and over and over and over again. Don't do that, he said. Just talk to God sincerely. And it was verse 5a, said, when you pray, here's how to pray. Second thing is, Jesus demonstrated how to pray, and he gave us the Lord's Prayer beginning in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6. When you pray, pray like this, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but give us victory over the evil one. Now, that's a simple prayer. 
And it is an outline for prayer that you can use in your daily prayers if you want to do that. Or you can pray the prayer itself as long as you don't recite it, but you pray it. It becomes a prayer for praying and not just for saying or reciting. And so if you are going to be successful, you must have this time with God. Number three, God's primary method of speaking to you is His Word. I know there are some of these TV preachers who claim to have visions, and I'm not saying they don't. I'm just simply saying most of us will never have a vision. There was a person in the Bible who had a vision, but not many people had visions in the Bible. The Apostle Paul saw the Macedonian man in a dream. And the Macedonian man said, come over to help us. And Paul was trying to go north, and God wanted him to go west. And so he used a vision. But you see, Paul didn't have a a pastor. He was the pastor. Uh, There weren't many churches. There was no Bible. He wrote much of the Bible, much of the New Testament. And so God got his attention that way. But the most obvious, common, predominant method God will use to speak to you is through his written word. And if you don't know the Bible, if you're not in a process of consistently reading through Scripture, you will not hear the voice of God. Now, if you want to know God's will for your life, read the Scripture. You say, where do I start? I don't know. Pick a place and start and be systematic about it. You can start in Genesis and read through the Bible if you want to. That's not a bad idea. In fact, that's what I'm doing now. I'm I'm reading through the Old Testament, and also at the same time, I'm then taking over, uh, going over to the New Testament, reading through the New Testament. That's my devotional right now. Sometimes I take a few months, and I just read through the Psalms every month. If you read five Psalms a day in 30 days, you'll read all through the Psalms. And so it's not hard, but you've got to find a system. And then you've got to stick with it. People say, well, I got started, Pastor, and I got going for two or three days, and I was good for about a week, and then something came up, and I had to miss, and it was, I just haven't gotten back to it yet. Well, here's what you do. If you get interrupted and you stop reading and stop praying like you used to, start again. You ever hear that before? Start again. And when you get into a habit, as a spiritual discipline, if you want to call it that, of being having a time with God in prayer and in the Word day by day, and you don't get to have it, you will miss it severely and sorely, and you cannot wait to get back into that spiritual discipline. If you want to be a successful Christian, you need to be in prayer. You need to be in Word. Some people keep a prayer journal. And in that prayer journal, they write down things they're praying about, and when they get the answers, they can check it off. In their prayer journal, sometimes people make notations of Scripture verses that mean something to them. Maybe they underline in their Bibles. Maybe they make notes in the margin of their Bible. They, they underline promises from God or commands from God. You see, this becomes a very important foundation for your life. Let's just say you set aside 15 or 20 minutes a day, and then as you grow stronger in your desire for God, you'll want to expand that. And it's not something you feel like you have to do to check off on somebody's card to say that you've done it. It's something you want to do. Now, if you tell me you're a Christian, but you don't enjoy the Scriptures reading, you don't enjoy spending time with God in prayer, I say, are you really sure you've been saved. Are you really sure? Second most important thing, in my opinion, of being a successful Christian is keeping short accounts with God. Short accounts with God. Now, what is that all about? Well, when you're a Christian, 
Though you've been saved from all of your sins and you have been freed from the power of sin and the dominion of sin in your life, you're probably still going to sin from time to time. Now, I don't like that about me. I get frustrated when I do something I know I shouldn't do, and and I often get angry at myself for doing it, even though I know it was wrong. But the key of success in the Christian life is not necessarily being sinless day by day, though God doesn't want you to sin, but the key to it is knowing how to handle the sin when it comes. Let me give you an illustration. When I was probably 10 or 12 years old, that was before my brother was born, or nearly that time anyway. Our dad always wanted to have a garden. He always had a big garden in the backyard. And uh, one day, it was a hot summer day, and the garden was out, and the plants were growing up pretty good. And uh, I'd planned to go swimming that afternoon. My dad said before we went to work, he said, Ronnie, now before you go swimming today, I want you to weed the garden. You know what that is. Going through the garden, you pull up all the weeds by the roots, you know, and you just lay them down, they'll die, and... You know, that'd be good. So about 11.30 or 12 o'clock, well, it was a nice, hot, warm day, and I thought, I I just really need to go to the swimming pool first. I can weed the garden later. So I rode my bicycle down to the swimming pool, about two miles from our house, maybe three, and just really enjoyed myself and spent the rest of the afternoon at the swimming pool. And you know how it is when you're laying in the sun, you're swimming, you're diving, you're playing with other people at the pool. You just lose all your energy. So finally I got on a bicycle and rode back to the house, and by that time, man, I was tired. I began to realize, oh, oh, I'm supposed to weed the garden today. Dad's going to be home in a little while. And so instead of weeding the garden, I took the hoe. (laughs) I hate to admit this, but I took the hoe, and I just hoed up some dirt and covered the weeds. (laughs) Right? I thought, he'll come home, and he won't see any weeds, and he'll think I've done a pretty good job. But he didn't just look at the garden. He went out and inspected the garden. And he wanted to know why I didn't do what he told me to do. Now, at that point, when I failed to do what my dad told me to do and tried to cover it up, and he came home and saw it, do you think he said to me, okay, you have disobeyed me now. You can no longer be my son. You have to move out of the house. You have to take all your belongings that you paid for yourself. You can't have anything that I paid for, and you've got to be on your own from now on. I just can't have a son that disobeys me. What do you think? Well, of course not. But you see, what had happened was our relationship had not changed. I was still his son. He was still my father. But our fellowship had changed. And some of you have been saved for a number of years, but you're not walking in fellowship with God. You know you had a genuine experience. You remember what it was like before Christ came in, how you were condemned and bound for hell. But when Jesus came in, he freed you from that threat and condemnation. You felt the release of the forgiveness of your sins. But you know now that something is not right in your life and you haven't been living for Christ and and you haven't had fellowship with God. And it's because of sin. And so keeping short accounts of sin means this. When you sin, acknowledge the sin. Do the right thing about the sin. It's not that you are going to be sinless, though that's our goal, but when you sin, realize the sin and confess the sin to the Father. Now, if you're following your sermon notes, let me give you a couple of points about how this works in the Christian life. Christians cannot hide from their sins. Back in the book of Numbers, it says, be sure that your sin will find you out. Your sin's going to find you out. You're going to have guilty 
feelings over your sins because that's the job of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit lives in you, He's going to convict you, make you feel guilty, and show you what your sin really is. And when you realize that you've sinned against God, what do you do? Well, the next thing you have to do is you have to bring it to God. Number two, God is ready to cleanse Christians from every sin, but we must bring them to Him. 1 John 1, 9, great verse. Every Christian needs to know this verse. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's something I need to remind you of, and I might have done it in the last uh, few times I was here, but when Jesus died on the cross, how many times did he die? Right? One time. You say that? One time. One time. And when he died one time on the cross, how many sins did he die for? All sins. So Jesus is not standing here with this big hammer of discipline hanging over your head or this big sigh of cutting off your head and sending you directly to hell saying, hey, you went past the limit. He's not saying that. But when we as Christians sin, and though Jesus has died for that sin, that sin separates us in fellowship, and so we need to come to Him acknowledging, recognizing, agreeing with Him about our sin. That's what the word confess means. Did you know that? The, con- the word confess is a compound Greek word, and it means to say the same thing God says about our sins. So what does God say about our sins? God says our sin is so ugly, so evil, so bad, that it took the death of Jesus on the cross to pay the penalty. When I realize my sin, i got to see myself as one of those sins. I've committed one of those sins for which Jesus died. My sin put Jesus on the cross. And so the Bible says when I confess, when I agree with God about it, not when I make up for it, not when I pay him back for it. No, no, you can never pay back God for what he's done for you. But when you acknowledge it as what it is, he forgives. He restores the fellowship between one another. And that's what many of us need. And sometimes people let it go so long. And I believe a lot of people don't want to come to worship though they've been saved because they've got such a backlog of guilt for their sins. And they refuse to come back and get in fellowship with God. They refuse to confess their sins to God. They've they've refused to repent of their sins, turn around and do something different. There is a bit of pleasure in sin, and therefore people want to walk in that pleasure rather than holiness and righteousness of God. Isn't that so? And some of you know what I'm talking about. You've been there. Is it possible today that there are some unconfessed sins in your life? Some things you've done that you knew were not God's will and you've never yet acknowledged it before God, God, I know that was wrong and I really am sorry that I did it. You see, that's repentance. And if you want to be successful in the Christian life, you have to keep those times short. As soon as you recognize sin, go to God with the sin, confessing it to Him. And sometimes, we'll perhaps get into this at another time, there needs to be restitution for sins. If you've sinned against another person, you need to ask their forgiveness. If you've sinned against a group of people, you need to go before the group of people and ask their forgiveness. And that's the way it works. Now, unconfessed sin will prevent joy, peace, and effective service for a Christian. I believe a lot of Christians give up a lot of joy because they won't deal appropriately with their sins. 
It's almost like they're singing one of our favorite songs, right? We are sinking deep in sin. Wee! Boy, we're having a good time. But that's not successful Christianity, is it? Some of the most ugly, I'm not talking about physical beauty here, I'm talking about activities. Some of the most ugly and discontented people I've ever known are Christians who are living out of fellowship with God. They know what they ought to be doing, but are not willing to do it. Because they think it will be too painful, it will be embarrassing, what will other people think about me? And they would rather stay in their misery of being out of fellowship with God than dealing appropriately with their sins. You want to be successful in the Christian life? Stay in the Word, in prayer with God, conversation with God. You need to be in short, short accounts with God. When you sin, deal with it appropriately. Here's number three. You need to learn to live by faith. Now, even as I say that, I think a lot of you may not understand exactly what I'm getting to, so, you know, I want to explain it to you, right? <laughs> I like to explain things to you. So, the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, it is impossible to please God without faith. Now, think about this. If it is impossible to be pleasing to God without faith, doesn't it mean we want to know what faith is? I've asked a lot of people, preachers, lay people, people on the street sometimes I've asked this question, what is faith? What does the word faith mean? Now, I know there's a thing called the faith, you know, the, the content of the Christian message. But the word faith, what does it really mean? And a lot of people quote a verse, Hebrews 11.1. 1, and it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's true. That's good. But what does that mean? When you quote that verse and, and you say, this is what faith means, I say, well, will you explain that to me? What does that mean? And nobody really has much of an explanation. So here's what I want to do this morning. Let me give you what I call a working definition of faith. It's not in your notes. I don't know if you want to write stuff down or not, but here, here it is. And I think this will be helpful to you if you get this. Faith is hearing God speak and acting on what God says. That's simple. Faith is when you hear what God says and then you act on it appropriately. Let me give you a couple of examples. There was a man in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, named Noah. You remember Noah? And one day God came to Noah and said, Noah, I'm going to judge the world, and I'm going to do it through a flood. And I want you to build this big boat. Told him how long, how wide, how tall, how many floors to put in it. And when I bring the flood, the only people that are going to be saved and not die in this flood are those who are in this ark, this boat you're building. And so when God finished telling Noah what to do, what did Noah do? He began cutting down trees. <laughs> he began buying lumber. He began constructing the ark. Now, why did he do those things? Because God said, do it. That's faith. God said something to him, and he acted appropriately. God told him a message. God told him an activity. God said, here's what you're supposed to do, and he began to do it, and we call it faith. Here's another example from Genesis, a man named Abraham. He was not always called Abraham. At first, he was called Abram. And when he was called Abram, living in Ur of the Chaldees, God began to deal with him and speak to him. And eventually, he went to a place called Haran. And while at Haran, God said, now, here it is, Abraham, Abe." We might want to call him. 
I brought you here. Now, I want you to leave your family behind here and, and your possessions, and I want you to go to this place that I'm going to show you, to Canaan. He didn't tell him he'd all his possessions, but, you know, his, his stuff, his physical stuff that he couldn't move. And so Abraham packed his bags and moved instantly. Well, I don't know if it was instantly, but immediately. He left. He took his wife, he took his servants, he took his camels, his tent, and he took his nephew and his nephew's wife. He didn't know where Canaan was because he'd never been there before. He probably found out where it was. So he didn't go to AAA and get a road map. You can bet on that. And what do we call that? The Bible says in Genesis 15, 6, and it was counted to him as righteousness because he believed God. The Christian life is lived by faith in what God says and not by what you feel you ought to do. Faith is when you hear God tell you what He wants you to do and how He wants you to live, and we can call that the word of faith. God gives His people a word of faith. God says, here's what I want you to do, and you do it, and that's called faith. And I can't tell you how many times that principle applies in the Christian life. I'm still learning. It applies to every day. And so when you're praying and reading the Word of God and you're taking in this Word of God and God communicates with you, sometimes He communicates through your mind and through your spirit. He just speaks to you in such a way that you know it's the voice of God. And it's always confirmed by the Word of God. Then you act on what God says and you have this Word of faith and you begin living by what God says and not by what people think or what people say. That's the word of faith. Now, the second part of faith is learning to walk by faith. You get a word of faith, that is when God speaks to you about something, the walk of faith is when you continue to go forward and to act on what God says, practicing daily what God told you to do. Let's just say this morning during this message, you feel convicted that you need to start having a quiet time again. If you believe God's telling you to do that, then you walk in faith by practicing doing that every day. And if you miss a day, you know what you do? You start again the next day. If you miss a week, start again the next day. If you've been out of that practice for months or even years, what do you do? Start tomorrow. You can always start again as long as you're living in this world. And so the walk of faith is when Abraham, who had a promise from God that he and his wife would have a son who would become the heir of the promises of God to Abraham, as they went through their years and they didn't see this happening, what did they do? They said, well, God is not good. He is not faithful. He's not going to come through. Not at all. I can imagine, to put it in modern-day time, Sarah, at the age of 90, was still going to her gynecologist every six months saying, Am I pregnant yet? And the doctor said, wait a minute, Sarah, I've told you now for years, you're too old. No reason for you to come back to see me. It's, it's not going to happen, honey. They were in the south. <laughs> but one day, God came to visit Abraham in his tent. And he said, I want to reiterate to you that your wife is still going to have that baby. And the Bible says in the background, Sarah was listening, and she laughed. And the angel said, about this time next year when I come, she's going to have a baby. And they're going to, because she laughed, you're going to call him Isaac. 
In the Hebrew, that name is Yitzhak. Yitzhak. And it means laughter. And a year later, Sarah, at the age of 90, had a son. What do you call that? He got a word of faith. God told him way back in Haran, he was going to have many, many descendants. And he kept walking all those years, 40-some, maybe 50-some years. We don't know exactly the chronology. But he kept walking by faith. Even though he made some mistakes, he had that child with a handmaiden. You remember that one, Ishmael? Yeah, that wasn't God's plan. God didn't shoot him down and say, hey, you just obey me. I'm going to wipe you out. No, no, God didn't do that. God was gracious. But the day came when the weight of faith was fulfilled. And some of you may be still waiting in faith for some promise God gave to you. God may have told you when you were a younger person, I want to do this through you. I want to do this for you. I'm going to give you this or something. And you haven't seen it yet. And so you're still waiting. But you wait in faith, believing that one day God will bring it about. Now, may I say this? I don't want to discourage anybody. But it's possible that we won't see the fulfillment of God's promises, all of them, till we get to heaven. But hey, it's worth it, isn't it? Won't it be worth it when we see Jesus face to face? If it says, here's all the things I promised you that you didn't get on earth, now they're with you forever, and you have them here. The Christian life is built successfully on these three things. If you're learning to pray and converse with God on a regular basis, you're getting in the Word and you're reading it, you don't have to have commentaries, you don't have to have a seminary degree, just read it and understand as best you can. And if you need some help with understanding something, uh, find somebody that knows a little bit more than you do and let them help you with something. Get a commentary if you want to. And then you need to learn when you sin to keep short accounts with God. Don't let it mount up. Don't let it stay. And then thirdly, you need to walk by faith.